Good evening. This is Patrick Donahue. Appreciate you listening every week at this same time to Bible Crossfire. Is Jesus's second coming imminent? That's what a lot of preachers would have you believe. And they have been teaching that, that Jesus is coming soon, that his second coming is imminent. They've been teaching that for now almost 2,000 years. You would think with so many prognosticators getting it wrong so many times for all those centuries that they would have learned their lesson by now and quit making the same mistake. Quit preaching that Jesus' second coming is imminent. They taught that for 2,000 years. Thousands of preachers have taught it thousands of times, and they're wrong every time. Jesus never came. He's The Bible never tells us when Jesus has come. The truth is the Bible does not tell us when the second coming is going to be. It doesn't give us any clues. It doesn't even give us any clues. Twice the Bible compares Jesus coming to a thief in the night. The point is, when he said when it's compared to a thief in the night, there's not going to be any warnings about when Christ is coming. I mean, a thief doesn't warn you about when he's coming, does he? That's the point of saying the second coming is going to be like a thief in the night. Here's those two places. First Thessalonians 5, 2. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. And then how about Second Peter 3, verse 10? But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Now again, I repeat, when a thief is going to come rob your house, does he give you some clues, some warnings that he's coming to say, hey, John, I'm coming over tomorrow night at 11 p.m. to rob your house. He doesn't do that. That's the whole point of these passages. When it says the second coming of Christ is going to be like a thief in the night, what it's trying to say is, I'm not going to tell you when I'm coming. I'm not going to even give you a clue. So all these preachers trying to make as much money as they can by telling you he's coming tomorrow, the next day, and all that, they're making it all up because the Bible never teaches that Jesus' second coming is imminent. If in the first century the Bible had said Jesus is coming soon, then it would have been a lie. There would have been an error in the Bible because if it said Jesus was coming soon in the first century, well, he didn't come soon. That would, If it said that, that would mean it's not God's word because it was wrong. God never gets anything wrong. So how can the Bible tell you that Jesus is coming soon now if it didn't say it in the first century when the Bible was written? And if it said it then, it would be wrong. So obviously the Bible is not going to say Jesus is coming soon. He's going to come as a thief in the night. He's not going to tell you when he's coming. He's not going to even give you a clue. If you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give me a call at 877-655-6755. The number again, if you have a Bible question or comment, the lines are wide open, 877-655-6755. Notice how Matthew 24 uh 22 through 24 compares Jesus' second coming to a thief. Here's how that reads. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good men of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore, be also ready for in such an hour as you think not, the son of man cometh. The very point of that passage is to say that nobody knows when Christ is coming. It is impossible to predict, according to these passages. The Bible doesn't say he's coming soon. He's not coming. doesn't say he's coming imminently. And the Bible doesn't tell us or give us any warning signs about when he might be coming. 
Now, a lot of believers think the language of Matthew 24, 6, it says, you shall hear wars and rumors of wars, is a sign of the second coming of Christ. But that's taken totally out of context. They reason that since we hear about a number of wars going on in the world today, then Jesus must be coming back soon. <laughs> but the truth is that in that section of the scriptures, Matthew 24, 1 through 34, Jesus is giving signs about an event that was to occur in the lifetime of his live audience, the destruction of Jerusalem. Notice verse 34. Now remember where it says, you shall hear wars and rumors of wars is Matthew 24, verse 6. Matthew 24, 34 nails that timing down for us when Jesus says there, verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass to all these things be fulfilled. So everything that he had talked about in Matthew 24, 1 through 34, would be fulfilled in that generation. We normally think of a generation as 40 years. And sure enough, let's assume Jesus said that in about 35 AD. And 70 AD, according to secular history, the Roman armies came in and destroyed Jerusalem. Jesus got it right. He predicted that Jerusalem would be destroyed within a generation, and that's exactly what happened. And that's what he was talking about when he says there'll be wars and rumors of wars. That's not a sign of the second coming of Christ. That's a sign of what Jesus was talking about in that context, the destruction of Jerusalem. And he said it would happen in that generation, and he got it right. And that happened in 70 AD, getting close to now, 1950 years ago. Dan from Oregon, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yeah, my comment is... Uh... What do you think of this idea, the idea that the, the Bible says a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day? You in know, the, the very... In the, in, in, in the Jewish calendar, the Jewish calendar of the year is 5,783. If the so, last Dan? Thousand, if the last thousand years is a day... That's the Sabbath rest, the last thousand years. So, Dan, the very point of that passage in Second Peter is the opposite of what you're saying. It's not saying that if I say something's going to happen soon, that it's going to happen a long time from now. That's not the point of it at all. What's going on in Second Peter 3, when he says that, in about verses 7 or 8, is there were people there, scoffers, saying, you know, say, say that book was written in, we'll say, 75 A.D. I don't know when it was written, but that would be 40 years after uh, Jesus died approximately. And, and they said, well, Jesus promised that he was coming back and he hadn't come yet. And we don't think he is coming. We don't think he's going to make that promise good. So the very point of this thousand years is one day and one day is a thousand years is not that if God says it's going to happen shortly, that it's going to happen a long time from now. It's the very opposite of that. It's the fact that, hey, you're you're trying to think it's too short. It's too short of a time. And now it should it should have already happened. That's what the people then were saying. It should have already happened. And he's saying, no, God does it on his own time. Now, I'll tell you what I'd like to do, Dan. I would like to send you an article on that via email after the program explaining that passage that a thousand years is one day and one day is a thousand years in Second Peter 3. An article I've written explaining that that shows it means the exact opposite of what you are claiming it taught. Joe from Iowa, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. You're talking to me, uh, Pat? Yeah, Joe, go ahead. Okay, uh, women preachers, you know they're not supposed to preach in church, 
The Bible says for them even ask, not even ask a question, ask at home. So it sounds to me like they're not supposed to talk at all in the church meeting. Is that right? Right. Here's 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35. And, and thank you for your call, Don. I, well, I got to listen on the radio. Yeah. Or let your women telephone. keep... Telephone. Yeah. I know that. Let me speak. Okay. Let okay. your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shame for women to speak in the church. So Don is exactly right. Not only are the women not to preach the sermon in the church, they're not even to ask a question in front of the audience. It says, if they have a question, they're to ask it at home. Meaning, it doesn't mean they can't ask it in a restaurant, but what it's saying is don't ask it in church. And I've seen yeah, churches, so, you know, go ahead. So when they come in the church building, they're not supposed to talk really until they leave. Well, here's what it means. They're not supposed to speak. They're not supposed to have the floor. Like, if they're sitting in their oh, okay. seat, Don, okay. if they're sitting in their seat and they have to whisper through the child, if you don't be quiet, I'm going to take you out back and spank you. Okay. There's nothing wrong with that because they're not addressing the assembly. But if they address the assembly, even from you. their seat, if they're addressing the assembly, even from their seat, even just to ask a question, this says, don't do it. If you got a question, you should wait and ask it at home. So you're right. Okay. It's more than just, uh, it's more, more forbidden there than just preaching the sermon. I normally couch it, Don, within the issue women preachers. And it's so clearly against women preachers in First Corinthians 14, 34, and 35. But you're right. It forbids even more than that. If a woman is helping out with the announcements, speaking to the assembly, just with helping with the announcements, she violates this passage. Anything right. else, Don? Yeah. How do, how do these women justify that today? I mean, you, I mean, it's so plain. What's it here? It, what, you probably heard a lot. How do they justify being preachers? Real quick. Okay. The same way churches justify people being in second or third marriages that violate Matthew 19, 9, adulterous marriages, and churches do nothing about it. They do nothing about it. it. They justify it in the same way. They're more interested in numbers and what's politically correct than they are in following the Bible. So churches have women preachers. They allow divorce and remarriage. They even have about half the churches have gay marriage. They have sprinkling babies for baptism, uh, all kinds of things that are different than the scriptures because they're more interested in what we think is right, what will bring in the most numbers, what we like the most, what is the most politically correct, than they are actually letting the Bible be their authority. If you have a Bible question or comment, I want you to give me a call at 877-655-6755. 877-655-6755 is the number to call. The lines are wide open. So in the section, Matthew 24, you shall hear wars and rumors of wars. That context is not talking about a prediction of the second coming of Christ. In that section, Jesus is predicting that the destruction of Jerusalem will occur within one generation. With We might roughly say 40 years, and he got it right. Secular history t- tells us that the Roman armies came in about 70 AD and ransacked Jerusalem. They sieged it. Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, just like Jesus predicted. He said in verse 34, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. So he was talking about something in that generation, not the second coming of Christ, something 2,000 years later. Jesus goes on to say in Matthew 24, verse 36, but of that day and hour, 
Now, now he's talking about the second coming of Christ. But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. Now, if you read Matthew 24, 36 through 44 together, you'll see the point is that nobody knows when the second coming of Christ is, that there will be no signs for that. All the signs in the first part of the chapter about the destruction of Jerusalem that was going to occur in that generation. But the second coming of Christ, there'll be no signs for that. Instead, it will come like a thief in the night. 1 Thessalonians 5.2. That is, with no warning, no no clues about when it's going to happen. So nobody knows when the second coming of Christ is going to happen. If somebody tells you they do, almost certainly they're trying to make a dollar because they can't give you a verse, any verse in the Bible, that tells you when the second coming of Christ is going to happen. So if they say they can tell you that, that usually means they're trying to make a buck. Just put that in your your smike and your pipe and smoke it, as they say. Ha, ha, ha. Now, many are confused thinking that when Jesus comes back, he will set up his kingdom. But notice Mark 9, 1. And this is Jesus speaking. It says, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So Jesus is saying to people who are standing there listening to him, let's just say a hundred people. We have no clue how many, but just a guess, a hundred people. Some of those hundred people would still be alive when the kingdom came. So the kingdom of that Christ that he would head up, be the king over, would start within the lifetime of some of the people he was speaking to. That doesn't match up with the premillennialists at all who say that when Jesus comes back the second time, he's going to set up his kingdom. But Mark 9, 1 shows that he was going to set up his kingdom within the lifetime of some of those he was speaking to. So either Jesus's kingdom started in the first century time frame, or we have some people today that were listening to Jesus that are over 2,000 years old because they hadn't died yet. Read Mark 9, 1 and see that for yourself. There's nothing difficult about that verse. It's very plain that the kingdom was set up in the first century time frame. But preachers will tell you differently, likely because they're trying to make money. But if you'll read Mark 9, 1 for yourself, you'll see that's exactly what it says. Let me read it again. Jesus speaking says, Verily I say unto you that there be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. The premillennialist will say the kingdom of God is going to come at the second coming of Christ which is going to be at least 2,000 years after Jesus said that. But he said there's going to be still some people alive that listening to him that day when the kingdom of God was to come. Just read that verse and believe it. That's, it means what it says. You know, Second Peter 3.10 uses that same phrase, thief in the night, to refer to the timing of the second coming of Christ. It says when he comes, it is not to set up his kingdom, like the pre-millennialists say, but to destroy the earth. It'll be the end of the world when Jesus comes back. Here's how that passage reads. Second Peter 3, 3 through 4 and verse 10. There shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after the own lust and saying, where's the promise of his coming? So the context, he's talking about the second coming of Christ. And you have these scoffers. Where, when is he coming? It says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. So when Jesus comes back the second time, he's not going to set up a, a physical reign in Jerusalem like David and Solomon had. Instead, that's going to be the end of the world. It says the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. That's what's going to happen at the second coming of Christ. 
That's very clear. These verses are super clear. The only thing confusing the matter is the preachers trying to make money. If they would just quit trying to make money, I think we'd be a whole lot better off if a lot of preachers would just preach for free. And then they would not be so tempted to try to preach things contrary to the Bible so that they can make money. So that they can, they wouldn't be so tempted to tempted to compromise and preach what the people wanted to hear. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. The lines are wide open. If you have a Bible question or comment, give us a call at 877-655-6755. You know, it really doesn't make any sense to say the signs of Matthew 24, 5 through 33 are referring to the second coming of Christ. How could fleeing to the mountains quickly, verses 16 through 20, help us escape the end of the world? He says, if you see this this sign, this coming, flee to the mountains. How could fleeing to the mountains, how could fleeing to the mountains help you if it's going to be the end of the world? So obviously, it's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. And and he's basically saying, if you see the armies coming outside Jerusalem, get to the mountains. Don't be caught in that city because he knows, Jesus knows that the Roman armies were to siege that city. And once they surround the city, you're not going to be able to escape. You're going to starve. So if you see those armies... Get out, get to the mountains. That only makes sense if he's talking about something local to Jerusalem. He's not talking about the end of the world. That wouldn't make any sense. The fact is, we don't have any idea when Jesus is coming back. Mark 13, 32 reads this way. But of that day and that hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. So, That passage, in talking about the second coming of Christ, says nobody knows. That even Jesus didn't know when the second coming of Christ was going to happen. Do you think you know more than Jesus knew? Jesus at that time didn't even know when the second coming of Christ was going to happen. And then we have preachers today that claim that they know. That borders on the absurd. Jerry. Let me see if I can click on Jerry here. Jerry from Oklahoma, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Hey, yes. I've, again, the question I've got is, you know, they talk about in the Bible that Adam and Eve were the first ones on earth. But then you hear about teaching in classrooms and side stuff about uh, cavemen and prehistoric men uh, that were on this earth. And God created the people on earth in his image. And that doesn't really fit the, the image of God. And you start looking at cavemen. So... A caveman, I think I'm pretty much in agreement with your statement, but just to try to reconcile the benefit of the doubt, suppose Cain, for example, Adam's son, decided to live in a cave because it was easier than building a house. There would have been a lot of vacant caves at that time. So you could say he was a caveman, but he would have just looked just like us. He, he was just looked the same as Adam and Eve. So he, there could have been a lot of people back in those days living in caves. That didn't contradict the Bible necessarily, but but uh, I think your main point is right. When they picture people as 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 though they lived billions and billions of years ago, then they're they're not believing what the Bible says. They're, when they say there was, they don't the, the people that are saying that generally don't believe Adam and Eve existed. Am I right, Jerry? And everybody came from Adam. Yeah, and Eve. I can't think. I think they keep talking about making evolution in the humans, which you know that does everything is the Bible says. And I don't believe yeah. that, but it just amazes how they teach stuff like that. Jerry, you're, against, you're, 
You're so right. The Bible teaches clearly in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 that God made the heavens and the earth, all the animals and the plants, and man in six literal 24-hour days. It doesn't leave any room for evolution. No room at all. Craig from Tennessee, go ahead with your Bible question or comment, please. Yes, sir. I've got a question that's been pondering with me since I've, uh, you know, woke up to the true revelations that have been upon me. Why does the church reference Yahshua as Jesus? The letter J is not in the Hebrew language. And when they say God... Here's why I got got the the simple answer to that. The same reason it represents frog as frog, even though if you read that Hebrew or Greek, it wouldn't be frog. It would be in Hebrew and Greek. So what we do is we take a what the Bible says in Hebrew and Greek, and we translate it to English. So it is perfectly valid to call him Jesus because that's a Greek translation. I mean, that's an English translation of the Greek name. And so what I want them to do is when they translate the Hebrew and the Greek, I want them to put it in English so I can understand it. I don't want them to, to leave the, the words that are in Hebrew, Greek, and Hebrew and Greek. I want them to translate it to English. So I'm very glad they translated Jesus's name to English. Because I want the, the Bible to be translated English accurately. And if they leave it in Hebrew and Greek, I'm not going to be able to read it, Craig. Does that answer your question? It, it does and it doesn't because, you know, I'm growing. Uh, I'm, I'm not the best disciple. I should be. But it does and it doesn't, you know, very conflicted, uh, longtime Christian, but new to the you know, I've I've lived in sin so long, and so, so being a Craig, let me ask you a question. Suppose you solve the word konania. Now that's a Greek word. What would you think that meant? Konania. Oh my it's goodness! A Greek word. I know this. I know this, and and, <laughs> and I don't remember what it means. Yeah, I, don't. I know, and I'm not a Greek expert, but that word means fellowship. So they took the word konania, which is a Greek word, yes, and they translated it into our English word fellowship so we could understand it. There's nothing wrong with changing the word from koinonia, Greek, to English, fellowship. Matter of fact, it's not, not only is there nothing wrong with it, it's actually a good thing because us English speakers have no clue what the Bible is saying if it's left as koinonia. So they translate fellowship so we can understand it. And that's exactly wow. why we have the name Jesus because they're translating Jesus's name just like they translate any other word so that we'll understand it. You have what is Philadelphia. It doesn't fill that first part of Philadelphia means love, right? So we have the city of yes. brotherly love. Well, that's the Greek yes. word, phila. So they translate it when they get that philo or whatever it is. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. They translate it to love. I'm glad they did that in the Bible, that they translate that love because if they said philo or whatever the pronunciation is, then a lot of people wouldn't understand what they're talking about. So translations, if they're accurate, but not all translations are, Craig, but if they're accurate, it's a very good thing. As a matter of fact, we see that going on in Acts 2, the first gospel sermon preached by the apostles. There's people there from all nations. Read Acts 2, 4 through 11. And so they didn't preach in Greek. They preached miraculously, supernaturally powered to preach in a language that the people could understand. Perhaps 12 different languages. I'm not sure. But a, a number of different languages, 10 or 12. And that's so those people could understand it. Because if they preached in Greek or Hebrew, then those people from those other nations couldn't understand it. So God miraculously enabled them to translate 
into those people's languages so those people would understand. So it's a great thing to actually speak the gospel in the language of the person that you're trying to communicate to. And that's why we have the name Jesus, the word fellowship, the word love, instead of the Greek or the Hebrew words for those. Craig, appreciate your call, okay? Thank you. Thank you. You Keep gave listening. me valued insight. Thank you. Okay. Talk to you later. Bye. Appreciate everybody listening, you know, today. We were talking about the kingdom. We've already read the kingdom exists now. Mark 9, 1, Jesus said, There be some of them that stand here which shall not taste of death till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. So the kingdom came in that first century time frame. Bottom line is Jesus doesn't ever tell us in the Bible that he's coming soon. We don't know when he's coming. He doesn't give us any clues or signs about when he's coming. Nobody knows. They're just trying to make money if they tell you otherwise. If you want to have a free one-hour phone Bible study with me sometime at your convenience, call or text me at 256-682-9753.